Thank you for joining another wonderful episode of Success Innovation. Today's episode is titled, Empathy is the First Step. This episode is really amazing because I get to interview Miri Rodriguez. She works at Microsoft as the head of global internship program. I learn and I understand why she is focused and dedicated to helping and supporting this endeavor of the internship program at Microsoft. We dive deep into why and how she managed to become an author of her, her first book, Brand Storytelling. And we will understand as to why and how it takes time and dedication as well as preparation to achieve success. I want to welcome, welcome Miri Rodriguez to Success Innovation. Let's get started. Thank you. Welcome to the audience. Uh, once again, this is Lastro joining you for Success Innovation. This is a video as well as a podcast audio version. If you listen to either or watch the YouTube channel and listen to the podcast version, thank you so much for being a loyal audience. And today, today I have the pleasure of having Miri, Miri Rodriguez. Miri is the author of Brand Storytelling. It's a brand new book. She's a brand new published author where she demonstrates how everyone is capable of achieving great success by organizing the way we tell our stories in a way that is really ours. She has been with Microsoft for nearly eight years and is currently in the Seattle area as the head of the Global Internship Program. Welcome, welcome Miri Rodriguez to Success Innovation. Yeah. How are you this evening? I'm great. Thank you, Lazaro. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Yes. And um, I gave a short bio about who you are, but can you please tell us a little more about who you are and when you came from or where you came from? And you grew up in Venezuela for a little bit and then transferred over to Florida. Can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah, I was born in Venezuela in Caracas, uh, right in the outskirts of Caracas. And so I was um, I spent my childhood there, which was really beautiful childhood. I really enjoyed growing up there. Um, I, I was born to uh, in a missionary home, so my parents were missionaries, so we traveled a lot around Latin America by car, actually, and uh, eventually made our way here to the United States. My dad got asked to move here as part of the missions, and so we came here when I was 13 uh, to Miami. So I was um, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, uh, Miami area. South, South Florida is what we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I was actually uh, called by Microsoft when I was there about eight years ago. And so I started working for Microsoft first in LATAM um, headquarters, which is in Fort Lauderdale. Then I went remote uh, and eventually made my way here to Seattle. So, When you came over and you were 13 from Venezuela over to Florida, what was the biggest uh, shocker for you when you came over to the yeah. States? I think beyond the language, we didn't have any family or friends here. We just, we were, it was just us. Um, and, and back then, um, there was not a lot of Spanish-speaking communities outside of Miami. So right now, it's kind of bigger. It's expanded to like the northern area, uh, even to to the actually central area of For- Florida. Before that, it was literally just a hub of Miami, and it was more Cubans than anything. Um, so there was a there was more of a of a cultural shock for me in terms of Latins that were Americanized. I didn't realize what that looked like. I didn't understand. I didn't feel 
that I was, you know, I felt like I was Latina from Latin America, but not Latina from America. So there was just this culture shock of, of what that looked like. So now I feel more American, uh, you know, Americanized Latina than actually from, from there. But when I first got here, there was a lot of different things. There was a lot of history that I didn't know. One of the things that shocked me as well was the, um, the black history uh, in Venezuela. We don't have that kind of um, um, racism, if you will. Uh, we're all just Venezuelan. We have different colors. Um, we come from different parts. So um, it was really shocking for me to see the American history and, uh, and the black history here. So. Wow. Okay, fantastic. So you probably came in and you were in middle school. Correct. I was. I was in uh, seventh grade. Mm -hmm. Okay, seventh grade, and then you decided to go ahead and continue your education. You went to. Did you go to community college or did you go straight for to a four year university? I could not afford a uh, four year university. My parents uh, didn't have the means. In fact, my my father is just told it's just three of us. There's three sisters, and he just said to the three of us, "Listen, if you want to get you know to school, you're gonna have to earn your scholarships. I don't have money to put you to school." So we all did earn scholarships, and the one that I got was a Bright Horizon scholarship, um, same as my sister, and that was one that would ask you to go to a community college first, and then you can transfer to keep their scholarship and transfer to a university. So I did, I went to Broward Community College uh, for two years. Okay. Then I transferred to FAU. Um, and then I got married um, very early, I was 20. So uh, it was really difficult for me to finish my school, taking night classes. So I actually moved out of um, FAU and went to a, a, a school called Trinity International University right. uh, in Miami that um, they had an Excel program, which is accelerated for working adults. So that helped me graduate on time. So, okay. yeah. Okay, all right. And you obtained a bachelor's with focus on communication and organizational leadership. Can you kind of walk us through what that really means and what you were, how did, how did you choose that major? Yeah, yeah, to be honest, I chose it because it was the one thing that kind of got all the credits that I needed to graduate real fast. I didn't okay. think it was going to be my career. In fact, I wanted to be a pilot. Um, I had taken uh, Air Force uh, JROTC for four years in high school. I really wanted to go into the Air Force. Uh, I knew all the instruments. I had done two internships, um, at one at an airport, at, two, at each airport, the executive airport and the actual Fort Lauderdale airport. So I knew how to read instruments and all of it. I was really into planes. Um, and so um, when I transferred over, it was really around just graduating and I took the course because it my, my credits transferred faster if I did like a general communications course it ended up being the best thing that happened to me in the long run because you know back then there was no social media there was no story selling um, nobody could really foresee what would happen in the digital world of marketing and PR um, but because I had this really general uh, overview of all of these different channels and, and marketing and communications and internal communications and external I was able to really hone into that and and you know when when a social media job was available at Microsoft I was able to take it and then eventually with the with the storytelling role the same thing so it was really a blessing that I was I didn't you know focus on one specific niche of business I went all around so fantastic so then the opportunity with Microsoft opens up about eight years ago was yeah. that uh, automatically bringing you over to Seattle off the bat? No, no. In fact, I told them when they called me that I would never end up in Seattle. I said, if you call me, just let you know, I will never, ever leave Florida. <laughs> this is where I'm going to be forever. Um, and it ended up being uh, not a Microsoft thing. It was more of my son. So um, I have two boys. 
And in the Latin, as you know, in the Latin community, we celebrate the coming of age for, for women, for girls yeah. at age 15, which is Las Quinceañeras or Sweet, sweet 15. Um, we don't do that for men. And I was really, you know, I was really stressed out over the fact that that's not, kind of not fair for boys because they also too come of age. And I think it's very important for, for us to have this marking of their coming of age as well. So we, um, my husband and I did a ceremony for my, my sons um, when they turned 30. And we took from different cultures and different religions. And um, so we kind of mixed all these ideas of like coming of age ceremony. And so my son, my son, Alex turns 13. And, you know, one of the benefits they got from from turning uh, 13 was that they would get a house vote um, in our fa family matters. So every year we kind of, you know, they had to sit down and, and make decisions with us and at, that, at that level. So um, Alex, and they could also put things to vote. Like, hey, mom, we want, I want to bring this to the family table to talk about it. So um, he was turning the next year, 14, and he said, hey, mom, I'm, you know, I've been living here my whole life in Florida. I want to move somewhere else. I, you know, you come from Venezuela. Dad comes from Boston. Like, you guys know what it is to move. I've never moved out. So I want to move somewhere. I live somewhere else. And so we put it to a vote because you know that was the thing that we did and at that time my oldest my youngest was also turned 13 so everybody was voting um and everybody voted except for me i didn't want to leave <laughs> but, but i got i got outvoted as i always do in my house for being the only uh, girl and so yeah so that's actually what activated us trying to move from florida um and i, so, I was like well you know i work for i work for microsoft there's probably a whole lot of things to do out in seattle so we chose seattle mm -hmm. and um and i applied i looked at the role i that said storyteller and i said wow this is, sounds really fun i don't know what it is but i think i want to apply for that and i did was that was um, that the actual title storyteller that was the title yeah storyteller okay. Okay. Uh, for core services engineering yeah and I, I had no idea what it was. It was a lot of communication, a lot of social media. Um, someone that just was really strong in, 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 you know, in communications. And so I had that background and I, it was for engineering, which I was like, why, why are they hiring people for engineering in this space? You know, so I applied and, and got it. Um, in fact, I had an offer the same, the same day that I, that I did the interview, which was really wow. hard. So about well, two months later, we were already out here, which was incredible. Awesome. Congratulations. So Thank you. making the jump from the East Coast, Florida, so it's a yeah. little warmer over uh, to Seattle. How, how uh, is that? Yeah. How is oh, that? You know, it, it is difficult. I'm not going to lie. A lot of people warned me about the weather. I travel a lot and we tra we're a traveling family as well. So we um, were often different places. So we don't see the brunt of a lot of the you know, just being here. But even with that, it's, it's def definitely tough. The weather does affect, I love sunshine. I love the beach. Um, so it is, it's definitely, it's definitely, uh, the weather is impactful. But the other part of that is in Florida, um, you know, the culture is very strong. We have a lot of Latins and Caribbeans and a lot of attitudes and everybody's honking on the road. Everybody's fast paced. Here's very calm and people are kind. So it's, funny because the first time I was driving you know here I was honking at everybody and everybody's looking at me and I'm like why why are you honking like just move I'm honking at you nobody honks nobody honks here everybody just kind of it's mellow and nobody says anything and everybody lets everybody go by so um it's funny because you know the, the vibe is much different and their people are very kind here so right. wow okay awesome okay and then uh 
So you're you're over in in, in Seattle and you have yeah. this position which is called the head of the global internship program. But yeah. you also, you know, you, you went ahead and you you did um, an additional master's in Georgia, Georgia, um, Georgetown University. So how that's after about 10 years. How how did that come about? Yeah, yeah. So um, I had a personal goal. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't afford to get a master's immediately after school, after I graduated from my bachelor's from Trinity. It was a personal goal. And I always, my, my goal my was if I can't get it right after school, if I can't afford to go right after, at least by the time I'm 40, it will be like my gift to myself, my 40, my 40th birthday will be to walk and get my, you know, my, my graduation ceremony for my master's. Um, so it was a strictly personal goal. It had nothing to do with my career. Um, it was, I didn't even know how it would impact my career and it ended up impacting a hundred percent. In fact, the book happened um, because of the things that I learned and I applied from the master's course while I was being a storyteller. So um, I did it for only for my own personal goal. Uh, and sure enough, I graduated on May, I think it was 19th or 17th. Yeah. Uh, and my birthday is the 24th. So I walked uh, on my 40th birthday. Okay. All right. And so, so now that with, with this, you said that the masters actually impacted your career. Yeah. What, 100%. what, so how, how did that happen? Or, or can you explain what that really yeah. means? Yeah. So what happened was I came into the role of storyteller in core services engineering and I was asked, um, we, there were three of us, three storytellers, and we were divided by functional areas of Microsoft. So there's six functional business areas. I was given data and AI uh, and also security. They kind of tied it in. And so my, my job was to actually act as a journalist, um, find stories that were compelling, that were of engineers that were working on specific technologies, um, make them available to people with a how to, um, this was in the midst of digital transformation uh, for many companies. So it was really making content available um, from us to IT pros all over the world and devs that were going through the same transformation and, and talking about how we were doing it at Microsoft. So they too could do the same. Um, these stories were, were meant to be very technical in nature, but also very humble in, um, in approach uh, and very, very um, vulnerable in approach. So basically getting the engineers to talk from a very personal standpoint of saying, this is what I'm going through right now. And that was a very tough thing to do. Uh, if you ever try to get a story out of an engineer, you'll know what I mean. Right, so I spent, right. I spent a lot of time. I spent about three months failing, um, not getting the stories. Nobody was talking to me. Nobody wanted to give me information. Um, a lot of engineers were just like, you know, this, the product speaks for itself or, you know, very pragmatic in their approach. So um, I took, I was taking a, a course, um, a design thinking course at the time for my master's because it has a, a, a design thinking um, certification piece to it in a UX as well. And so I, I leveraged that design thinking model and I called my professor and I said, hey, can, can we design stories? Can we use this model for storytelling? And, and, and he said, absolutely, you can use it for anything. You can think of stories as a product. So I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. So I actually used the five steps in design thinking and I leveraged it to actually get the stories and it worked. And so that's actually okay. what the book is about. Wow, awesome, awesome. So when you started utilizing this new process of storytelling, fabrication or, or processing, designing. How, when did you first see a breakthrough? 
Yeah, um, it wasn't immediate because the uh, the actual idea of designing stories and prototyping them is that they are prototypes, right? So they're not fully baked. Uh, they're not huge concepts. They're low cost, low effort, uh, and you have to test them. So it's not an immediate result. It's more, I think what the long-term idea is that you get good at designing, you get good at what's not working and then evaluating what's not working so you can see what works. Uh, and so it's a, it's a very counterintuitive approach to how we want to deliver things, excuse me, especially content, because we're used to saying, hey, we're gonna evaluate our, our market, our, we're gonna look at our audience, we're gonna look at what they need, and we're gonna give them this and that's it. Instead, it's a really kind of counter, you know, intuitive approach of let's spend a lot of time empathizing first so that's the first step empathizing ideating defining first and ideating the prototyping then testing looking at it adding in so it's a lot of more of process than the actual product if you will um so it was it was a while before we actually um broke through a really good story um and the story that broke that was really good ended up being a six part story uh, from an engineer that's a veteran engineer at Microsoft. Um, and he, uh, the, the store, the series was called Operationalizing the Cloud. Uh, the pitfalls, the challenges of operationalizing the cloud. So it was really a story, a really well put together story from him um, where he talks about his personal transformation during the digital transformation. So it was a very human and also very technical, uh, but it took us, it took us a while, it took us about six months. So now that you're, you know, you're coming from a communications background and you're dealing with a lot of engineers, what do you think has been the most successful method during that, you know, fabrication or modeling of the stories to be able to extract the true person behind the engineer in a desk? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was definitely um, asking the question why. Uh, and really digging personally, um, the, the, what I realized was when I asked engineers a question, for example, say, why are you doing this here and not somewhere else, not at Google, not at Amazon? Why are you here? Um, their eyes widened and they were able to give you personal stories, right? And so um, it was really matching their why, their purpose more than anything. Um, why was that important to them? Why are they working on this specific project? Why do they choose to come to work every day? You know, and, and so it was a, a very in-depth approach to um, their purpose at Microsoft and how they serve Microsoft and then how Microsoft serves them. Um, and I hadn't arrived at that un until I realized that, again, empathy is the first step to good storytelling. And I wasn't empathetic as a person. I had to learn to do that. I didn't even know that. Uh, you can learn to be an empath. It's actually a soft skill. Um, so I had to learn that first, and it took me a while because it's not my strength. In fact, at all, it's not even my top 10 strengths attributes. So um, I'm definitely a walking um, example of the fact that you can learn empathy and you can actually hone it in as a soft skill. Okay, fantastic. And then we get to, you mentioned the book. So how how does you know how do you become an author what happens you're working at microsoft you're the head of the internship you're doing this project with trying to yeah. extract stories how does the book come about yeah so you know it's funny um i was so soon after we broke our series of stories that 
that really landed very well. Everybody got curious at Microsoft, within Microsoft, in other disciplines. They're like, hey, Miri, how are you doing that? Or, hey, come teach us how you're doing that. So I went around um, and started kind of teaching the methods of how we were doing it uh, to other disciplines, uh, anything from sales to marketing to uh, HR, just everywhere. I just kind of exploded. I was really busy doing a lot of workshops internally uh, and externally because a lot of people as well outside got curious. I already built a brand outside uh, in the marketing industry, and so I'm a speaker. So people started getting really curious. Hey, Mary, can you talk about storytelling? And so I did. So I was just basically sharing my learnings. Um, and I was in one of those um, events, uh, giving the keynotes in London, and the publisher came up to me that time. Um, about two years ago and said, hey, you, you got to write a book about this. And I was like, no, not really. I don't have to write a book about it. I don't have the time. I don't have the, the I just can't. I'm like, and I don't even know how you can, you know, basically create from a keynote, 20, you know, five slides, uh, a whole book. Like, I don't have enough content. Um, but she pressed on. She actually really believed that this was something that the world needed. Um, she pressed on so much that she actually said, you don't even have to write the book proposal. Can I just present it to my team and, you know, and we can go forward with the contract? And I was like, okay. Um, and her pitch was really around, Amir, you're going around the world doing this one to 100, one to 500, one to 1,000 at the max. You can really reach the masses if you write a book. You can really reach a lot of other people. She's like, and the, and the publisher will also translate in different languages. You have more reach. So I think that was what kind of sold me. And I was also so scared at the same time to be like, I don't, how do we, like, I don't know what to write about. Like, I know, I know what I have in, in the context of a keynote, right, of a workshop, but I don't know how to turn this into a book. Um, so that's how it came about. Um, it actually, I didn't start the project until a year later because I pushed back. I was finishing my master's. And uh, so I pushed back, and, and then it was like crunch time. It was like, okay, you got to get it out. If you don't get it out, then, you know, it's like, okay, fine. So eight months, I, I, I would wake up. Uh, for eight months straight, every day at four in the morning, um, and you know, four to th four to seven, three hours in the morning, and then three hours at night, and then all twelve hours each day on the weekend. So it was very, very. So essentially, they put fire under your feet to actually get it going. They sure did. Okay. <laughs> and, right. and yeah, and you know, it was supposed to actually have published last year in in summer. Okay. Um, it, and the publisher said, hey, there's a few books. There's like the way that it works. There's schedules for different books that come out at different times. So they pushed me over to December and then eventually to now. Um, and it's incredible to me that, you know, given this timing of what's going on, um, people are really, really listening to the fact that they need to be empathetic in a time like this from a brand perspective. So of all the things that it could, you know, could have, we would have never foreseen what was going to happen and had it, had it published a year ago, had it published, you know, in December, it probably wouldn't have the same effect it has today. So. And you also mentioned that you were doing a keynote speech when that actually the opportunity presented itself. Was that a yeah. keynote speech from uh, sponsored by Microsoft or was this no. something that you were doing on your own? Yeah, yeah, no, I do it on my own. So I have been uh, for about five years now. I've been um, I've been asked by industries uh, to, to come and join and give give keynotes around um, you know just thought leadership around my, my Microsoft um, the things that we do there around in general just marketing tactics tactics and communication tactics and most recently storytelling with the work that I've been there. So I come out and I share 
my own learnings uh, and people are always intrigued because clearly this is something that's happening at a brand that is so powerful and so big mm -hmm. so people get very very intrigued um and and so they really hone into the stuff that we're doing in there and so uh we became open source about six years ago when satya came on board it was something that we didn't do much before you wouldn't hear a lot of Microsoft T's out there talking about what's happening at Microsoft, but now we are. Uh, and I think that's part of just the open source approach that we have from, um, you know, from a brand perspective. When you first were invited to do a keynote speech on yeah. your own, how, where did that happen? How did it happen? Were you nervous? Were you expecting that invitation? Did you seek it out? Yeah, no, no, I didn't seek it out. I attended. Um, so I got a job for social media at Microsoft. Uh, I was, I, I, was asked to own the uh, three main channels for social support, so in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. And so it's big operation is under customer support, not the brand side, but the customer support side. And I was like, man, I, I, I know how to do social media from a personal standpoint. I don't know how to do it from a brand standpoint, so I need to go learn. So I asked my manager to let me go to a, attend a social media conference. Um, and so I picked, there were so many going on at the time. Um, and I picked the one in San Francisco because I just love the city. And so um, it was literally just because selfishly I wanted to go to travel to San Francisco. So I went to the social media strategy summit in San Francisco and um, you know, you have your badges and you do your networking um, and Brianna Jacobs who owns, um, you know, the, the social media strategy summit, she's the director came up to me and she's like, Hey, you're from Microsoft. And I said, yeah. She goes, what do you do? So I told her at the time we were launching Windows 10 and there was a lot of buzz around, you know, on social media about Windows 10. So she's like, hey, what are you guys doing? And what's, what's going on? So I explained what we were doing, our, our strategies and things. Um, and she's like, why don't you come speak next time, next time, next year, you know, around this time. And I was like, you're, you're kidding me. Like, she didn't even know if I could speak publicly. I, to, I couldn't speak publicly. So I was like, okay. So I said, yes. Uh, and then I went back to Microsoft. I was like, hey, I, I've been invited to talk. Can I, can I do this? So it actually became a big deal. Uh, you know, legal got involved. It was just like PR got involved and you're going to go represent the company. What are you going to say? What are you not going to say? Let me see your deck. I mean, it was just like a whole year of preparation for this thing. And, and I was just like, I'm just going to do it, you know, and, and that's it. That's the rest is history. From that, I was asked to come and do other ones. Um, for the next two years, my calendar got booked. Um, you know, it is booked a year in advance now. Um, and it's all been, it's been all been word of mouth. I've not had to pitch once. to wow. any of Congratulations. So off of that, you. did you start your own side business essentially? I did. So, I did. So so Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go. No, yeah. So Microsoft's really good about things like, um, you know, um, moonlighting and they're very open source to that as well. So, yeah. So we, I began my own company and, and then began, you know, it just, it became, it really became um, just something that I, I was really excited about uh, to be able to share uh, on the public stage. And clearly, you know, it wasn't a keynote at first. It was just like, hey, come speak and do a workshop. And then then I got, you know, um, requested to do keynotes. And I, one thing I loved to see was that they were seeking women uh, in tech, which is, you know, not a lot of us, right? So I got, I got to get on big stages because there's not a lot of women out there. And I, and I really do want women to put themselves out there more because truly, um, you know, there's opportunity if you do. So there's very, very little Latina woman in tech talking and getting on stage. So I don't know if my opportunity was because I was good or just because I was Latina, but maybe, you know, whatever it was, <laughs> whatever it is, uh, I was you in this it, stage obviously. and I just did. <laughs> yeah. So okay. what's the big, what's the biggest surprise or, or biggest scenario or biggest, you know, platform that you've actually been 
invited to speak to where you've said, oh my God, I never imagined I'd be in this locale or at this venue for this particular event? Yeah, um, uh, yeah I, probably, I probably have to say Prague. Prague was, was pretty big. Um, there was two, so one in Israel and then the other one was in Prague. So in Israel, I, I estimated, I, I think it was 500 people, um, but, but what was really you know, important was not so, many, so much the number, but the actual type of people that were joining the conference. It was very high VIP, uh, media and executives. It was just a lot of people, um, you know, that were decision makers. So not just, not just, you know, your typical um, social media conferences, you'll have a lot of communicators at the mid-level. Uh, these were all um, executive level people. And I didn't realize that until I got there. So I was just like, oh my gosh. So the media, TV, everything was really, really interesting to know to like you know it was like a lot of pressure but i didn't realize it until the end so i was able to just deliver my content and it was like oh everybody's here you know so i was like okay um and then for prague i did get briefed um and prague was i think i think the biggest thing that was it was it was big in numbers but also the fact that um you know the actual conference is for it pros and i've learned that's a very niche audience uh they're very skeptical in general they don't just um you know, they don't just accept information, they dig information, they're skeptical, they're curious, that's their, their, the way they respond. So you don't get a lot of response right away from them. You don't know how it landed until a couple of days later. Uh, so I've learned this and I went with, um, I, I, every year I kind of finesse my new kind of keynote. And last year, the one I did at Prague was actually around empathy. I call it empathy rise against the machines. So it's this idea of like the robo apocalypse coming in and we have to stay human and, and especially for the devs um, and the IT pros um, that they will, you know, stop for a moment at the design level and think about their bias when they actually design a product or a machine. So it's a very um, kind of in your face um, presentation. And I, I was a little bit scared to deliver it to that audience, but it landed well. <laughs> so it's just awesome. Awesome. You know, yeah. So do you, you mentioned that one of them is about empathy. Do you have a couple other yeah. uh, topics that you usually talk about that you kind of already prefabricated and you model them to depending the audience that you're trying to target at that point or, or, is there something that they give you a topic to talk about and you develop it as you go? It's both. It's both. I have a, I have, I've, I've created around three that I think are my go-tos based on the, uh, just what people have consistently asked me about. So I, based on the need that I've seen, um, I, I, I also coach for personal branding. I have uh, a lot of mentees. Um, and so one of the things is using storytelling, especially your story of origin to brand yourself in the market, to understand your purpose, your why, um, to really pitch yourself, pitch your resume, pitch your LinkedIn profile. So all of that comes along really nicely if you have the story of origin baked and so that's one um and i use that a lot especially for the younger audiences like earlier excuse me early in career and then um the other ones are really around the uh like a, maybe a storytelling 101 approach uh which is the one that i talk about um, empathy rise against the machines and it's basically going through that five phases of design thinking and explaining how you can prototype your stories with that and then the last one is, uh the latest one is called alchemy and it's around basically it's kind of like a 2.0 uh, level 300 or 200 uh, based on already storytellers who know how to tell a story, but they want more like deeper 
tips and tricks on, on getting more um, appealing uh, to their audiences and how. So it's more of a, the, the later side of the book of like, hey, now you're a storyteller. Let's turn you into a story lord. You know, now, now let's get real good right. into the mastery of storytelling. Yeah. So why, what, uh, what's the most appealing part of your job and also your, you know, your own business? Mm, yeah. Um, I would say people. I would, I, I love people so much. And, and so when I was in course services engineering, um, doing the storytelling specifically, um, I had a lot of opportunities, including the one that I have now to impact people from a culture uh, shift perspective. People know and understand the stories um, instill values. They instill, um, you know, uh, core identities, things that we want to do differently. It's a blueprint, really a blueprint for culture activation. And so I was brought into HR uh, as the head of global internships to do that at the student level. Um, and it was a, a really a natural progression for me because I had already been working with students. I've always worked with students. I volunteer with student organizations. My heart is for students. Um, I really believe that our students you know, we'll have different opportunities today. We should really help them get those opportunities the best way, uh, the things that I didn't get to do at their age to really set themselves up for the future differently and better. And so, um, you know, I, I was really glad to go from engineering to HR because now my product is people. When I see what I do and I, we use the storytelling and they use the storytelling and they learn the storytelling, they are the ones going out and telling the stories. They're the ones going out. Uh, it's no longer just a, a paper or a blog. They are the storytellers. So we're, we're really turn, turning them into an army of storytellers uh, for what they can do for themselves and, and go out and do that for themselves. So it's part of the soft skill that we're teaching them. Um, and then when I go out and do it you know, for my own, when I go out to give a keynote, um, just meeting people and saying, hey, Miri, you really changed the way that I was thinking about this. I learned something new. There's a new insight. Uh, that's really, really, for me, heartfelt because it means that I, I was able to, um, to educate someone at some level, to help them look at something, a different angle. And that really, really elates me a lot. I'm really always so grateful to have the opportunity to do that. So. I'm pretty sure that throughout your, you know, experiences with keynote speaking and dealing with Microsoft as an employee there, you've had the opportunity to meet so many personalities. Yeah. Out of your quick memory, which one stands out the most that you actually, they don't have to be, you know, stars from they, Hollywood. <laughs> they they yeah. could be whoever, but somebody that yeah. you say, oh my God, I, you know, I met this person and, and this is an individual that I never imagined I would meet. Yeah, yeah. I actually read, wrote about the two of them in the book, uh, the opportunities that I had. Um, and one of them is actually James Whitaker. He is a distinguished engineer. Uh, he was a distinguished engineer at Microsoft for many years. He is now somewhere else. But um, a brilliant, brilliant man. He became my mentor. Um, I had the opportunity to meet him once and hear him speak. And I was just wowed i mean just floored by his ability to um kind of marry the right side of the brain with the left side just an incredible human being um and a speaker and a and you know his presence all about everything about him um it's just amazing um and he's just brilliant so um i, I would say in general Lazaro, that being at microsoft and really having a platform that i have today 
the best gift I've gotten from that has been meeting people. Just incredible, incredible people. Just, I am always, you know, the dumbest person in the room and that's a great thing to be, right? So um, yes, I've met a lot of incredible, incredible people. Um, and yes, I've met some celebrities. Yes, I met some uh, really great influencers uh, in the both tech and industries um, and marketing industries. And, and just the, the, the humility of them is wonderful uh, to be able to just sit down and, you know, have coffee and, and talk about their families and talk about their kids. And uh, it's just wonderful. It's an incredible thing. I'm just going to ask maybe for the audience, you know, and for me, is Bill Gates easily accessible? Do you run into the guy or <laughs> do you not? <laughs> I will say this. You know, I will say this, Bill Gates makes himself accessible to the things he loves and cares about. And he okay. cares about interns a lot. He does. Mm -hmm. he, he cares about the future of Microsoft and he cares about interns. Uh, so he tunes in uh, very, very quickly when we, um, when we ask him something to do with interns. Uh, and a lot of people do at Microsoft. I would say all of the leadership does. Um, so, so yes, he's, um, he's a really busy guy, but he's a really... Uh, you know, he's focused on people and I love that about him, that he, he really cares about the future, um, of our world and of, of Microsoft. So, All right. so right now, what's the next step for me? You know, you're an author, you're, you're, you know, keynote speaker, you're the head of the internship global program at Microsoft. What's next for media at this point? Ah, gosh. So I don't know. You know, I have to say, I don't know. I, I it's, um, it's, it's, my life has been completely and always one of those things that one step needs to, need, leads to the next. And I don't even see the next step yet. I'm just kind of reeling in the first step and going, okay, I'm here. I'm going to do this, you know? Uh, so, and I don't look that far because I have learned that just everything changes so quickly and I, and I don't plan that far ahead. What's next is whatever opportunity the book provides um, at any level, I, I plan on taking advantage of it. Whatever opportunity Microsoft provides at any level, I'll, I'll plan on taking advantage of it. Uh, and just in general, meeting more people, connecting with people like you, these are opportunities that I welcome. And so um, I will ride the wave as far as it takes me. One of my mentors always said, just ride the wave, ride the wave. So I was like, I'm riding the wave. Uh, and we'll see what's next. Um, you know, uh, my, my son, there's, there's a lot of things happening from a personal standpoint. Uh, my son is graduating this year from high school. He's turning 18 in a couple of weeks. So there's a, a big milestones in my house about our family. Family and we're very uh, keen to enjoying those moments as well. So, you know, staying busy, but also staying, uh, you know, doing all the roles that I am, a mom, a sister, uh, a wife, all the things that I am and enjoying those as well. Right. Fantastic. And um, you mentioned, so I'm going to, I'm going to focus a little bit on, on what's going on at the moment where we're actually recording this. There's a COVID-19 and there's a pandemic and everybody's coming at home. You mentioned your son, he's 18. He's about to graduate at least in California where I'm at, a lot of the schools have essentially postponed school attendance, not necessarily the classes, but yeah. um, I just want to know from your, from your point of view as a mom, as, yeah. a, as a parent that yeah. has a senior about to graduate, how mm -hmm. is he taking the fact that there's a possibility that there is not going to 
going to be a physical graduation. I mean, four yeah. years out of his life, yeah. dedicated. And this ceremony, as you mentioned, you know, you guys did a 13-year party for a coming of age. I believe that a graduation off of high school is essentially a coming of age in the educational portion. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is important because it's a rite of passage, essentially. How is he dealing with it? And how are you coping as a parent? And how are you helping him cope yeah, with it? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the things that our family, uh, we have a family five core values that we, we teach in our home and we live by. Um, and, and for us, living by those values really means, um, one of those is to be generous. And that means not just to give, but to be empathetic to other people uh, in our generosity in the way that we think of ourselves less. Um, and, you know, as I had to break the news actually today to my son, we just got the email that schools will be closed through June. Uh, that probably impacts graduation. They have not made that decision yet, but the ceremony could be impacted. Uh, so it's highly likely that it will. Um, and I had to go in and tell him that. And I said, honey, I know you've been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, if this is the biggest one of our problems, and I don't mean to minimize it, but if it is, thinking about people who are actually losing their lives today um, to this disease, to this illness, um, we really are blessed um, in, in so many ways. And, and we will not diminish the graduation for you. The momentum of that will we'll celebrate you, we'll celebrate you uh, in the best way that we can once this is over. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't take away from what the, the efforts that you made. You continue to do what you're doing. Um, this is just one more life lesson to all of us of the things that we can't control um, that are out of our control and also helps us understand how um, you know how we are all interconnected one thing one thing affects the other and in this meism um that we've created around ourselves that you do you and whatever floats your boat uh, that idea of meism has to kind of break down a little bit to understand that all of us are interconnected we are all affected by one another's um you know decisions or or the things that we do um so he was fine i asked him if he wanted to um you know what he wanted to do next um and he we had planned for him a trip to florida because we were going to also celebrate him there and he goes mom i just i want to go to florida i want to be with my family uh that's all that matters uh, one of our also um, family values is family first um so that's our second core value and basically it means that before we do everything with everybody else we do it with family first family is always number one so he has always been you know he was always looking forward to the family celebration more than the friend celebration here uh which will always will happen anyway so Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, uh, you know, you mentioned that you have a mentor, um, Mr. Whitaker, within there. I have six uh, mentors. Okay, great. So that's my <laughs> question. You know, good leaders always create good leaders. And can you kind of mention, you mentioned Mr. Whitaker. Can yeah. you mention another one or two more and yeah. share some of the lessons, the big lessons that you've learned and implemented that have made you successful? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Case Pronk, um, who was um, the he was a um, I forget his big he had a big title at Microsoft. He was like the big um, like lead for all of Europe um, for uh, customer success at Microsoft for many years. He was a veteran at Microsoft. He recently left about three years ago, um, but he I met him. Uh, 
around eight years ago when I first started and he had come in to visit our Latam region. I was in Latam and he, you know, it was like the big bosses come to town. We prepped film so much. And, um, and I had an opportunity. It was a very, very serendipitous opportunity because I wasn't in the ranks to be able to meet him in person. You know, I wasn't supposed to meet him that day. Uh, it was like my boss's boss who would meet him, but, um, it was a very serendipitous moment. I got to meet him and actually get to present to him. He, um, and we connected immediately. So, he became a mentor. I asked him to become a mentor and he has been ever since. He is the kind of mentor that will slap my face. He will say the things very raw. He's very European. He's like, Mary, blah, 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 blah. And he's, you know, in his accent and I love him for it. Um, and, and when I learned from him, uh, the big, one of the biggest lessons, I, I would always come in and be really, really upset about something at work. Hey, you know, this happened. Blah, 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 blah. So I would come in very animated uh, and tell my stories and he would just be always collected and listen to me. And he would say, Mary, if you sit, if you sit, long enough by the river you could see your enemies go by and i'm like i don't want to hear this anymore this patience idea leave me i'm like i don't want to sit by the river i don't want to sit by the river you know and he would just be like you sit by the river long enough all the time you sit by the river. and so years later you know i could i saw my enemies flow by right so i was sending him an email i was like you told me he goes you sat by the river right so it's this idea of really just time takes care of things in its own you don't have to agitate yourself and i'm very you know like ah so he would always kind of like calm down uh another mentor Benito Hernandez. Uh, I met him at Motorola. We're still friends. Um, and I do reach out to him once in a while. And he, um, you know, he always taught me that I would never get to the next step in life until I was ready. So you could do whatever you want. You could apply to a thousand jobs. You could push the issue and you won't get it until you are ready. And how do you know that you're ready? You will know you're ready. And then you'll be, you'll be able to go to the next step. So it's this idea, once again, of, you know, we think we, we we're ready for something. We think we want to go do something and it doesn't happen. We get frustrated. Um, and we ask ourselves why, uh, and that's an, it's most likely an egotistical approach of like, Hey, I know I can do this. I know it's for me. I know I can do it better, uh, versus what's the lesson here. And, and what do I need to learn more? What is it that I'm not doing right? What is it that I need to prepare on better uh, to position myself to the next step? I have not had to apply for a job in the last three jobs that I've had. I have not had to even apply. Um, and so it's really interesting because, um, you know, he was right. It's when you're ready, it's yours and it, it'll come to you. It's, it's yours and you'll be ready. You will know you're ready. So, so is so that patience combined with the persistence, perseverance, all bundled together that in preparation that, in preparation wow, preparing right? for the moment right yeah. preparation correct preparation what do you what do you believe your superpower is at the moment or if you don't think that you have one if you could select anything what would you select to be as a superpower and why oh my gosh i don't i don't think i have any superpowers to be honest i i can be a machine i guess i could be a machine i could work a lot without i have a lot of energy so i can prop i can work you know, 15 hours straight and not, you know, just keep going. Um, I've done it. So I, I, I don't know that that's more of a superpower of anything. I don't, I don't think it is. It is. It is. You could be kind of like the Terminator. <laughs> yeah, just, probably. Know, keep going. Just, yeah, keep right. going. Keep going. Go, yeah, go, go. It, I can. I can. Yeah. I, have that, so I have that. And I realize persistence. I have that. <laughs> yeah. Persistence. Yeah. 
It is, yeah. And, and you know, I, I didn't realize I had that until I like pushed it on my kids and my husband I was like, hey, you guys, let's all do this. Let's all go, go, go. And and they were like, mom, you're like the only person that can do that. Everybody's tired, you know? So, um, so I was like, oh, it's only me. I can do that. Okay. Um, but, you know, if I wish, if I had to, if I, I think if I had to wish for a, like a superpower, superpower, I would wish invisibility. I would love to just walk in uh, on scene uh, hear people, uh, get to know what's happening without me being there. Uh, I'm very curious that way. So I would love to kind of play invisible if I could. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Um, I got three more questions. Uh, the next one is, is there any particular book, movie, podcast that you actually listen to and that you benefited from that you would share with young students, young professional careers, so that they can actually get the same benefit off of and the same lessons so that they can implement and, and become successful in their careers or in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. So two books that I love that are classics for me and I think um, everyone should read, actually. Uh, there's one called The Purpose Driven Life, uh, and it is, um, it is a, a really popular book that's been translated to many languages by Rick Warren. Um, and it is, it is, um, it does start with, uh, it has a religious connotation to it, but it, it, you know, even if you're not religious, I, it really talks about your purpose in life. So, so move away from the idea. I'm not trying to sell anybody any beliefs. What I'm trying to get to is it really helps you as a, from a manual perspective to understand your why uh, and really to drive your own purpose in life and move away from societal, uh, parental, um, you know, even cultural values that have been instilled in you and really create your own. So it's really important because for me, that was really important to do. So, so the purpose driven life is a great book. The other one I think everybody who's read is the alchemist, uh, by Paul Coelho. I think, um, when you read it once, you know, maybe in school, you read it just for literature. When you go through life and you read it again, it's one of those books that just teaches you a different lesson every single time. And for students right now, uh, early in career, as you're getting started in life, it's a great book for you to start thinking about life differently, about the idea once again of this, um, you know, interconnectedness happens at the human level as the things that you're going to do that affect the rest of your life of the decisions that you can make. We think we're invincible at that age. We think, uh, you know, we can uh, do so much and nothing will happen. There is consequence, good or bad, to the decisions that we make. Uh, even though these are the times to make mistakes, uh, it, it fell fast. Um, measure those. Measure measure the ideas of how you how you decide about life because there's there's a lot going on be beyond ourselves. It's not just us. There's a lot of different things happening. So I think uh, the book reminds us of that of that idea that there's um, more going on than we that we see um, in the world. It's it's beyond ourselves. Right. Now, right now, you know, a little plug in for you, you know, if, if the audience, anybody in the audience wants to buy Midi's book, you know, brand storytelling, uh, I'll put the link in the bottom of the notes and, you know, you can purchase it. I'm assuming it's an Amazon. You can purchase it. There. On Amazon. Absolutely. You can go to uh, the landing page as well. Brand storytelling book.com brand storytelling book.com. You can go there and read more about the actual book, why I wrote it uh, and, and where to find it. So okay, I'll also put the Midi's link. A LinkedIn link so that you can connect with her and you can reach that. out to her and uh, make that networking connection happen. And, you know, the other question is another two questions left. You've been very successful. 
you know, you've come from Venezuela at the age of 13, you landed over in Florida, pursued a communications degree, worked for Microsoft, you have your keynote speaking gig going on. So to the eye of a layperson, that's success. But I want to know from you what the definition of success is at this moment for you. Thank you. I really love that question because I think success is very subjective and it's not um, part part of what the society thinks you, you it's deemed successful or what anybody else. You really have to create your definition of success for your life. For me, success is being the best I can possibly be in every area of who I am as a person, as a mom, as a wife, as a sister, as a friend, as a worker, as a mentor, uh, as an author, all the things that I that encompass me, if I can go look back in life and go, was I the best that I could be? Did I give my best to the space in my life? And if I, if I can say yes, that is success to me. It's got nothing to do with money. It's got nothing to do with status. It's got nothing to do with titles. Um, it, it is really your own um, idea of what, what excellence looks like to you in your space. So that is success to me. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, the last question is, is one that I really enjoy asking. And this one is, let's say you can get on, on, on a time machine and go back to the age of 13. You know, oh, go back to gosh. the age of 13 when you're, <laughs> when, <laughs> this, is, this is going back to, to, to meet young meaty. When you're just coming into a foreign country, essentially, where the language and the culture are different, even though you're Latina from Venezuela, from Latin yeah. America, and you, you find this Latino Americanized culture, yes. can, you share, can you share with, with me and the audience what you would share, three or two or three pieces of advice that you would share with that young 13-year-old young lady? What would you say to her if you have about two or three minutes to? Wow, to that's a great question. I, I, I would say the first thing I would say is, wow, um, don't stop smiling. Don't stop smiling. Um, I was, I was always very careful, very calculated um, in, in my persona because I'm very out there and I love people. Uh, and then it was always, I felt misconstrued. I felt people um, were always like, oh, she's flirting or she's, I don't know, just always a negative connotation to me being kind to people. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was in a place where I was very driven by religion. Women are seen, not heard. Um, my persona and my personality didn't fit my, um, my gregariousness didn't fit. Um, don't stop being who you are. Um, it'll, it'll eventually help you. It'll get you where you need to go. Don't, don't, you were created this way for a purpose. Find it. That's what I would say. Cause I spent a lot of time, um, begrudging my own persona and saying, why was I created like this? Like, why, why am I an extrovert? I don't want to be this. I don't want to be friendly. I you know, I, I'd rather be just standoffish like everybody else. And I, but I couldn't, I was drawn to people always. Um, and now I know why. So that would be the first uh, thing. The second thing I would say is, uh, don't stop trying. Don't stop trying. Um, you know, you're going to face so many things. Keep going. It's worth it. Keep going. Um, 
you know, you're going to have haters, you're going to have all kinds of things happen, but just persevere, persevere and you'll be fine. And you'll be able to leave the legacy that you want for your family, um, for your, for your children. Um, you know, one of the things that when I got there, I was just like, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I, I, I want to live the American dream. That was my dream. I think I can do that. I think I, I need to do that. Um, and so I am. And because I didn't give up and not because it was easy, but mm-hmm. because I didn't give up. I was times where I worked three, t- three jobs in, in a day. Uh, there were times where I was going to school at night, working during the day. I, you know, unfortunately I didn't have the opportunity to, uh, stay home with my children. I couldn't afford it. Um, so there's a lot involved in today that happened in all those years. Um, and it was because I didn't give up. It's all that persistence and preparation that we talked about earlier. Right. And that's exactly. what it leads up to. Yes. You know, thank you for, thank you for Midi, for sharing those points yeah. uh, with us that you would share back with your younger self. Thank you so much. And, and for you. us, you know, once again, this has been success innovation. Thank you so much, Midi, for your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you to the audience. Once again, this has been an audio and a video episode of Success Innovation. You will be able to find the links to uh, purchase Media's book and also connect with her via LinkedIn. And once again, I'll see you next time with another wonderful episode of Success Innovation. Thank you. Have a wonderful night. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening and watching another wonderful episode of Success Innovation. This episode with Miri Rodriguez, we went deep into a conversation about what it takes to achieve success, uh, how to seek out mentors, and how to take advantage of the advice that they give you. We also touched in a personal level as to how this pandemic is affecting the life, not only of hers, but her family, how her son is also being affected by possibly not obtaining a graduation ceremony. But nonetheless, she pursues and she assures them of how they will continue to benefit by staying together, the core values that they have as a family, and what they can do to continue moving forward. Thank you for watching and listening to another wonderful episode of Success Innovation. Lázaro Herrera, signing out. See you next time.